we're going to just go right into the scriptures and we'll do the offering and the announcements at the end. Uh, is that okay? Will that, uh, will that confuse you at all? Amen. Open up in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 7. Put your finger there, put a bookmark there, and uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. Um, I know we live in a technological society and iPhones have taken over our lives, but it's still good to have a hard copy. Amen. Thank you for the six eight amens. Um, can I get a seventh? But it is good. Uh, you know, you can't necessarily write notes, although you could technologically with a, an iPhone, but, but sometimes to highlight things, to have it. Uh, so I encourage you, uh, pick up a, a Through the Bible Bible. Uh, encourage you to read the scriptures, read the word of God, and it'll make a difference in your life. Can you say amen? amen. Well, I've entitled my message this morning, The Brilliance of Christmas. The Brilliance of Christmas. Christmas is about God Almighty stepping out of eternity into time. It's about God Almighty stepping out of the glory of heaven into the darkness of this world. He stepped out of heaven into earth. He stepped out of the glory and the light of heaven into the darkness of this world. The brilliance of Christmas, the thought of the word brilliance in describing Christmas came to me when I remembered hearing about what jewelers do when they display diamonds to their clients. When a jeweler desires to make an impressive display of a beautiful diamond, he places it upon a dark, a black velvet background so that the sparkle and the brilliance of the jewel is enhanced and brought even more dramatically to the eye. You see, the brilliance of the gem is clearer against the dark background. And so it is with Christmas. So it is with the message of Christmas, the brilliance of Christmas. The dark condition of the world's circumstances become the backdrop upon which God displays His awesome presence, which God displays His glory. Isaiah 7.14 is one of those gems. The beauty of that diamond is, Behold, a virgin shall give birth, shall be with child and give birth, and you shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. The beauty of that promise was given 2,700 plus years ago through Isaiah. And that promise came against the backdrop of a very dark and depressing time for the people of God. Fast forward about 700 and something years after Isaiah to the birth of Christ. Matthew Matthew's gospel also has the same verse quoting Isaiah 700 years later. And once again, it is a time of crisis for the people of God. Today, 
2019. How many of you believe we are just a few days away from 2020? Amazing, isn't it? But today, the brilliance of Christmas, once again, is seen as Christ comes into our world, our life, our circumstances, against the backdrop of crisis, distress, challenging times. But I want to show you today that there is a beauty in the coming of Christ. There is a brilliance of Jesus in your life and in my life. Can you say amen? Amen. In Isaiah chapter 7, I want to read verses 1 to 14. If I go a little quick over some of the names, it's because I'm just speed reading. No, it's because I don't know how to pronounce them. But don't worry about it. Not many people know how to unless you're a Hebrew scholar. But I want to read these 14 verses because I want to look and highlight the one verse, 714. But every, every text needs a context. When we read the scriptures, you can't just take a verse and just take it and run with it, so to speak. It's important that you read the context. And isn't that true in life? You know, every text needs a context. Every situation in your life, every story has a backstory. There's a lot more to our lives than than the story in the present or what we're going through, this little uh, uh, segment of time, this little time frame. And so when we look in the scriptures and we look at our life, you know, we need to look at the context. And how many of you know God knows the context of your life? God knows what you're going through. And in this passage of Scripture, I'm going to read 1 to 14, make a few comments. How many of you have your Bibles? Isaiah 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of the people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Here we have a little poetic language to describe the the fear and the trembling that the people are experiencing because of the threat of invasion and captivity. And isn't that true in our lives that we can look at our circumstances and we can look at what is happening in the context of our life and our hearts could be moved with fear. But the scriptures don't end there, thank God. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, now here comes the word of God into the context, into the situation. Go out to meet now to meet Ahaz, you and Shera Jezeb, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And say to him, here's the word of God to a, a, a fearful leader. Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Remaliel. Because Syria and Ephraim and the son of Remaliel have taken evil counsel against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah 
and trouble it. Let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabeel. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. Moreover, the word of the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord God, your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. In this, this portion of scripture, Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, these three chapters, there's one prophecy that details the distress of the people of God. It is an account of how Judah needed a ray of hope at a very dark time. Isaiah 7, 1 to 9 is a message to King Ahaz. You see, it is a timely word of encouragement as there are two kings that unite with an evil scheme to destroy God's people and to destroy Jerusalem. We know the scriptures tell us Personally, practically, if you fast forward to our day, in our context, the Bible tells us, Jesus said, that there is a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Every single one of us are a target that the enemy has placed upon us to destroy us. And you and I have a, a devil, a schemer, an, an evil one who's set on our destruction. But I love what one of the, the reasons that, that Scripture gives us for Christmas, one of the reasons that Scripture tells us that the reason why Jesus came, 1 John 3.8, for this reason, listen, for this reason was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Turn to the person next to you say, you're in a battle. Turn to them again say, you're in a battle whether you know it or not. The Bible tells us there is a spiritual struggle that's going on. And for Ahaz, a message comes from God through Isaiah, the prophet. This message comes through the prophet and God is speaking to Isaiah, but he's also speaking to the whole nation of Judah. What's the message? Calm down. Don't be afraid. What's the message? Chill out. Look at verse 5. Look at what the enemy says. Because Syria and Ephraim the son of Remaliel, have taken evil counsel against you. And look what they said. 
This is what the enemy said. Let us go up against Judah and trouble it and let us make a gap in its wall. In other words, let's tear down its defenses and let's set up the king we want over it. See, this is what the enemy is saying. How many of you know this morning that, that the devil has a strategy, that he has a plan and a scheme to try to tear your life down, to try to minimize you, to marginalize you, to hinder you, to keep you from your God-ordained destiny? How many of you know that's the truth this morning? Well, if you didn't, you know it now. And here we have the plan and the scheme of the enemy so clearly revealed for us to see. But look what God says to it. See, that's what the enemy says. But look what God says. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. You know what God's saying? It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. No matter how much, no matter how hard the devil seeks to destroy, you have to understand that God is invested in you. Turn to the person next to you. Say, God is invested in you. You and I are made in the image of Almighty God. You and I have a purpose on planet Earth. You want to know how I know you have a purpose? Because you're here. If your purpose was done, you wouldn't be here. And I'm not saying you miss church or sleep in. But you have a purpose. God has a plan. God is invested in every single one of you. He came for you. He came because of love. And when Jesus came and died on the cross, understand something. It was your sin that put him on the cross, but it was his love that kept him there. It was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was my sin, but it was his great love that kept him there. Hallelujah. So the enemy said one thing, and God said, it ain't going to happen. Aren't you glad that the Lord cancels out the strategy and the plans of the evil one? Let's look a little deeper. In Isaiah 7, we see three words that speak to you and I. Three words from God. Three words. The word of the Lord is powerful. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living powerful. It's alive. It is active. I once heard of a street preacher many, many years ago in a different time, in a different place. And um, he would go and, and he would preach, take the Bible, and he would preach on a street corner, the gospel, to whoever would go by. And um, one time uh, he would do all these different uh, antics and, and, and illustrations. One day uh, he had his hat on the ground and he started shouting to people as they're going by, it's alive, it's alive. It was very dramatic. He was jumping around and he says, it's alive, it's alive. And as the people gathered, he took his hat and under his hat was the Bible. Some of you didn't get that because you don't know that your Bible is alive. But the scriptures, the word of God is alive and is active. And the Bible says of itself that it, it, it pierces. It's like a sword that pierces to the dividing of soul and spirit. And listen, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, the word of God has such power to get so deep and to, to, to decipher and discern thoughts and intents, not just actions. See, we have to understand there are actions, there are outward manifestations of, of, of our life, whether good or bad, but there are also 
in, intents and thoughts and motives in our heart. It's a little deeper. But how many of you know God is concerned with what you think? God is concerned with what you do, but not only what you do, why you do it. Come on, somebody say amen. So the Word of God is alive, and the Word of God is powerful. And there are timely, relevant words to bring encouragement to you this Christmas season. Number one, God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. And, and the beauty of that, the brilliance of that, is against the backdrop, backdrop of the chaos and the confusion of life at times. The enemy said, we're going to invade Judah, we're going to tear it apart, and we are going to dwell and divide it among ourselves. But God said, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Now, I want you to understand something, that the, the, the two kings, uh, was a king of Israel and a king of Syria, uh, they had a plan to destroy Jerusalem and, and to occupy it or to invade it and occupy it. But, but God said it ain't going to happen. And he also uh, declared through the prophet a judgment. And do you know that both of those kings did not invade Jerusalem, but matter of fact, they themselves were struck down because they plotted against the Lord and against his people with an evil scheme. You see, God will always have the last say. Man uh, uh, proposes, but God disposes. Man makes a plan but God has the ultimate say. And here is the enemy coming in like a flood to intimidate King Ahaz. But God gave a promise at the perfect time. I want you to understand something this morning. God has a promise for every one of your challenges in life. That's why it's important to read the Bible. Someone has said that there are 7,000 promises in the Bible. Someone else said there are 8,000. For your homework tonight, I want you to go read the whole Bible and count them. But whether there are 7,000 or 8,000, if you do the math, divide it up by 365 days, you're around approximately uh, 20 promises a day. 20 promises that God gives you and I. Why, why should we read the Bible? Why should we ponder and memorize them? Because they become food for your faith. They become fuel for your faith. Because as children of God, followers of Christ, we do not live by willpower. We do not live by discipline or our own strength, or those, those things are important. But we live by what God has promised in his word. We live by the promises of God. Man, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Doesn't mean we don't have no bread, Frank. It just means it's not bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Almighty God. Why do I cherish this book? Why do I encourage you to read it? Why do you hear me over and over and over again? Because I believe that this book is God's word. It's his, God breathed on this word, and this word is our life. This word is our strength. And God's promises, God's promises, they shine their brightest and most brilliant against the backdrop of our problems. Hallelujah. God's word shines the brightest. Matter of fact, when you look at the promises of God in Scripture, they came to an individual or a people who were going through a trial, and that became the shining light in their life and saw them through. 
the dark situation. In about 450 BC, when the people of God needed to rebuild the temple, the temple had been destroyed. You know, they had to come back and rebuild. How many of you know in life, rebuilding is hard? You know, when, when, when we have a failure, when we have a setback, when someone walks out on us, when someone mistreats us, you know, it, it, it's hard to rebuild because sometimes, or all the time really, in a rebuilding process, you have to clear away some rubble. You have to clear away some junk. You know, there's the rubble of, of, of disappointment, there's the rubble of, uh, of tragedy and mistakes and and, and, and sometimes in life, you know, your situation um, is, is, is your own making, if we're going to be honest. Um, we want to blame everybody else, but sometimes we just got to take responsibility and say, you know what, this is my doing. And God, I acknowledge that. You've got to help me. But rebuilding is hard. But I want you to understand something that no matter how devastating a situation could be, no matter how bad the walls are torn down in your life, God will give grace and power to get it done. And so in 450 BC, thereabouts, when, when this project of rebuilding the temple had to, to be done, and, and it took years because there were attempts, and then the, the people stopped, they got discouraged, and, and it could be discouraging rebuilding, can't it? I said it could be discouraging. And so, and so the word of God came once again as, a, as a, a, a promise and as an encouragement in Zechariah 4, 6. And the, and the prophet said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, this mountain shall be removed. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord is powerful this morning. Maybe somebody needs to grab a hold of that promise and know, you know what, God by his spirit, is going to move the mountain of defeat, the mountain of discouragement, the mountain of debt, the mountain of despair. Hallelujah. How does God help us today? God helps us with his word because he knows what we're facing. He knows what we're going through. Can you say amen? amen. Isaiah 7:14 gives us the promise of a Messiah, a Savior in a dark time. And that's a big deal because every time the promise of a Messiah came to the people of God, it would come in a dark time. When things were at their worst, Jesus was the promised consolation. God not only keeps his promises, but number two, God brings his peace. God brings his peace. Verse four, what was the calming word to Ahaz in the face of danger? Keep calm. Turn to the person next to you say, chill out. Verse 4 says, do not be afraid. Do not be disturbed. You say, how can that be? There are enemies, armies coming against the people. You might say this morning, Pastor, you don't know what my home life is like. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what, what I've had to deal with. But God knows and he tells us, do not be afraid. Do not be intimidated by what you see and what you hear. Do not lose heart. Well, this sounds just like healthy self-talk. No, it's not just good psychology. It is the power of the word of God to you and I. When Jesus rose from the dead 
and, and went to meet with his disciples, there were times when they were just hiding in fear because the, one, the ones who had crucified Christ, they were concerned that they were next. So the Bible says that they were hiding in fear because of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus would come in their midst. And you know the first word he would say? Peace. Fear not. Fear not. The Bible tells us that Jesus brings peace. My peace, I leave you. He said, I give you peace in the midst of the storm. Why is this important? Because when we keep our heart fixed on him, his perfect peace covers our minds. We need peace in troubled times. How many of you know what the word for peace is in the Bible in Hebrew? Shalom. One of the joys of being in, in Israel, to walk the streets, to travel here and there, you would hear a common greeting to this day. Shalom. Shalom. Turn to the person next to you. Speak Hebrew. Shalom. That word shalom means more than just peace. It means well-being. It means harmony. It means wholeness. It means several different things. It means to be intact, to be complete. So when you said the word shalom, it wasn't just hello, it wasn't just peace. It, it spoke of, of so many blessings. Hallelujah. So, so God gives shalom over our lives. Come on, God gives that peace. God gives his presence. Come on, what the devil has meant for evil, God has a way of turning it around. God has a way of bringing his shalom and his peace into our lives. Whatever your problem is this morning, there is a promise. There is a corresponding peace. If you have a broken heart, there's a comforting peace. If you have a confused heart, there is a guiding peace. If you have a shamed heart, there is a forgiving peace. If you have a worried heart, there is a confident peace. Matter of fact, one of the names that was given to Jesus prophetically that's descriptive of his life and his ministry is Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. You know, when, when the last time I was in Israel uh, uh, with a friend of mine, we were in the, the old city of Jerusalem and, and we were witnessing to some young Jewish uh, uh, guys. And, and you know, uh, my friend told me, and I saw it actually with my own eyes and I heard it, when, when you share about Jesus being the Messiah, one of the responses or the arguments by, by Jewish people, because they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, they're still waiting for the Messiah, one of the things they say is that if Jesus was the Messiah, where's the peace in the world? And that's a good question. But what they misunderstand is that Jesus will set up peace at his second coming, outward peace in, amongst countries, amongst nations, but Jesus came first to give us peace in our hearts, to give us peace with God, to give us peace in our circumstances, to give us peace in our life. But the ultimate peace among the nations in the world will be when they accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Not only the Jewish nation, but the Iranian nation, the Russian nation, every nation. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Today we know him as the Prince of Peace in our personal lives, but one day he will establish peace in all of the earth. Can you say amen? In the last word, God manifests his presence. 
what does God tell Ahaz in his most needful hour? I'm going to give you a sign. A virgin shall give birth and it will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. What a powerful promise, isn't it? When Ahaz is in danger from two kings stronger than himself, God promises that God will be with him. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, Emmanuel is translated God with us. If you notice in the scriptures, Jesus, his name was Jesus. But he had many other names that he was never called, but they were names prophetically given to describe who he was and what he would do. So Emmanuel means that God is for us. God will always be for us. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is for you. Jesus is always present with you. You see, the glory or the brilliance of Christmas is that Almighty God came down from heaven to be at our level, to relate to us. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that the, the, this faithful high priest of who Jesus is, he had to be made like unto his brethren so he can relate to them. The Bible says that he was tempted in every point as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus knows what it is to be tempted and he can give grace to his people. You say, well, I've been, I've been talked about. Jesus was talked about. I've been betrayed. Jesus was betrayed. I've been hurt. I've done nothing but good, but people have turned. Jesus went through it. He can relate. He came down to our level. It was said, uh, one, one sportscaster once told the manager of the New York Yankees, Joe Torre, says, don't you think you can be a better coach or a better manager if you sat in the broadcast booth and had a good view from above? And you know what, you know what Joe Torre said with wisdom? He says, from that perspective, you can't look into their eyes. And what he was saying was, I need to be among the players to coach them. I need to be among the players to relate to them, to understand where they're at so I can coach them and I can help them as a team. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't look just down from heaven at our situation, but he came down to our level. He came down so we can look in our eyes and he can know our heart and he can know our emotions and he can know what we're going through and he can be God with us. Hallelujah. What a promise this morning. When you lay your head to rest, he is Emmanuel. He is God with you. When you wake up in the morning and you have to face a day of all kinds of craziness, he is still Emmanuel, God with us. When you're young and when you're in school and maybe you don't have anybody to sit with in the lunchroom, he's Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe when you get old and you don't know what the future holds, when you're in your 60s and 70s and 80s, he will still be a Emmanuel, God with us. Can you say amen? amen? The psalmist said, he is our God and he will be our guide even unto death. Hallelujah. God promises his presence. And, and you know what's, what's interesting? Isaiah, prompted by the Lord, asks Isaiah to ask for a sign. Now, in the scriptures, we are not really encouraged to seek signs or asks, ask for signs. But in this instance, God was making the offer. And he said to Ahaz, I want you to ask for a sign. 
Now, what was, Isaiah, what was Ahaz's response? I will not tempt the Lord. I will not ask for a sign. Boy, oh boy, didn't he sound pretty spiritual? I mean, he sounded good. Man, wow, Ahaz, you're thumbs up, wink, fist pump. I will not tempt the Lord. I will not ask for a sign. Wow, Ahaz, that's pretty spiritual. That's duplicity and hypocrisy. Because God was the one who was asking for a sign. And you want to know why Ahaz sounded so spiritual and so pious? Because he had another scheme. He had hired the Assyrians. He had made an alliance with a foreign political power to come to his rescue. Instead of trusting in the Lord, he had another scheme. I could read some of your mail this morning. You know, some of us, we come to church, we sing the songs, we praise the Lord, we read the Bible, but we, we have a plan on how we're going to work this out. We love the Lord, but we're still messing around on the side. We, we, we praise the Lord, but we've got another plan B, plan C, plan D. We're doing something under the table. We're doing something behind the scenes. We've got another plan. And Isaiah says, I'm not going to ask. And you know what? What did Isaiah say? How do we know that he wasn't doing the right thing or he was wrong by not asking for a sign? Because Isaiah said, you, you, you're, you're weary in God. You're going to weary man. So what are you doing? But the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. You see, Haaz did not want a sign from the Lord because then he would have been obligated to trust in the Lord. Oh, I don't know if you're getting that this morning. I know that's a little deep for a Sunday morning. This is Bible study material. See, some people can come to church and, and, and they could kind of have a, a little plan. You see, I like what one commentator said. He, he summarizes Ahaz's response. It's all quick-thinking, diplomatic hypocrisy. He knows there are strings attached. If he lets God in, God will take control. And for Ahaz, that would mean using God's strategies to get through the crisis and giving God the glory for the outcome. Ahaz proves here that faith can be refused by the will no matter how strong the evidence, if we don't want God, we can find a way to make our unbelief sound plausible and even pious. How do you respond to God's promise of deliverance? Do you piously refuse to believe God? God promises salvation in Jesus Christ. As he has said in Acts 4, 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Some people say that they cannot believe that Jesus is the only Savior of sinners because they don't have enough evidence. Others say they have unanswered questions about Jesus and so they will not believe God's promise of salvation. Such a view is not pious. It is all quick-thinking, diplomatic hypocrisy, as the author says. This morning... God will reveal himself. God 
will show himself to be faithful. I want you to understand today, look what, look, and I close with this. Look what, look what God says through the prophet. Verse 9, the end of it. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. This issue of faith is no joke. This issue of hearing God's word Sunday, Wednesday, as you read the scriptures, as you listen to Christian music, as you listen to preaching, whatever, however, it is no joke to hear the word of God. There must be a response that says, I believe. God says, if you will not believe, all bets are off. If you will not believe, you will not prosper. God was saying it's believe or bust. Hello? The scriptures go so far as to say, without faith, it is impossible to believe God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, the issue this morning is, will you believe will you believe his promises there are literally hundreds and thousands of promises in the word of God God will manifest his presence in your life will you believe him today will you surrender your plans will you lay down your attempts to do it your way and say God I trust you to not believe God to him that knoweth to do with good and do with it not, to him it is sin. When you know to believe God and trust God and you resist him, you say, well, how am I going to get out of this? Listen, the thinking that got you into the problem, you got to think differently to get out of the problem. If you keep trying to figure it out in your own wisdom, you're only going to go deeper. But when you and you trust God, he will bring you through. If you will not believe, the Bible says, you will not prosper. This morning, we want to prosper in God. Amen? This morning, we want to trust Him. Amen? The Word of God, the promises of God, a yea and amen. Will you believe Him this morning? Can you stand together with me as we pray? Another translation said, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. This morning, we're going to stand firm in our faith. I want us to pray. And right now, I just want you to take a moment as the Holy Spirit would just reveal some things in your heart. Maybe it's a plan B or a plan C. With God, there's only plan A. That's his will. There's a perfect will of God. This morning, maybe you have to surrender some things to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I'm trying to do it my way, I'm trying to do it halfway. Today, I surrender to you, God. Today, I believe your promise. I'm going to trust you today. The promise of God is he'll be Emmanuel, God with you in the midst of it. But if you don't trust him, you will not stand. You will not be able to make it. Today, put your trust in the Lord. 
You're dealing with a home situation. You're dealing with a financial situation. You're dealing with inner turmoil. And you want to rely upon the bottle. You want to rely upon something or someone else. You feel you can't live unless you have someone by your side. Come on, Jesus wants to be your security. Will you believe him today? Right now we pray. Right now we surrender. Right now we ask God, take control. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your people would truly believe in you and not trust like Ahaz did in the arm of the flesh, would not trust in man. But God, you were asking him to trust in you. Your word says, blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. Cursed is the man that trusts in the arm of the flesh. Father, today I pray that the glory of your presence would be evident God, as we open up to you, God, I know you will speak. I know you will confirm. I know you will honor your word today. Lord, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would quicken faith in our lives. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Join us for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. and for life groups every Wednesday at 7 p.m. We are located at 321 Vesey Street in Providence, Rhode Island. Have a blessed day.